Hello, Podwalkers, and welcome to another episode of the Goblin Lore Podcast. And to d- this episode, like all of our episodes, is very special because we have a wonderful guest with us tonight. Um, our friend Taya is here to talk about wonderful story things. But so bef- before we get into the, the topic too much, um, we're going to do quick introductions. And um, wait, no, I'm, I'm a professional podcaster. I remember we have sponsors. We should mention that. <laughs> We should do that. Hey, Hobbs. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I, I just had a cup this morning. The bourbon blend, which Ooh. is really, really good. Um, yeah. So uh, what we're referring to is the Grinding Coffee Company, which is an LGBT um, minority-owned business uh, that is uh, that, that sponsors gamers, and they partner with gamers when it comes to coffee. And um, they've been awesome. They I was telling talking to Alex earlier, uh, just, you know, they continue to support whenever we do mental health uh, streams. They give away mm-hmm. stuff for us. You know, they've been very supportive of us. They're they like they hype our material. They retweet us. Mm-hmm. I mean, they give us all of those support. And it's also really good coffee. And I, I will say that it's been since their Kickstarter, it has been pretty much my predominant coffee. Uh, and I drink it every day. So yeah, we always have to say thank you to them. Always, always got to thank them, and I, I, I pass this off to Hobbs because I am not a coffee drinker myself, but I do really appreciate all their support. Um, every time, just even from when we take breaks and things, they're very, they're supportive and they're great, and we, we love having them be a be a sponsor of our cast. So before we go too far, I suppose I'll, I'll int- actually introduce myself, and then I'll lead into kind of what we're doing, and then we can get to our our wonderful guest and. Um, but I'm Alex Newman, found on Twitter at Mel underscore Chronicler. Um, we do have an opening question, which I'll get to in a second. Oh, my pronouns are, are he, him. Um, but I do just want to give everyone a heads up. I know um, at the end of the year, we talked, we gave a quick heads up. I even recorded a quick little episode that we were going to be a little more sporadic. And that may continue. We'll see how things go. I just want to let everyone, just not to, not to go too deep, but just to let everybody know, I personally have been having issues sleeping lately. And few months ago, um, went and spoke to a doctor, and then last month was finally able, after a couple months of waiting, able to get an appointment with a sleep specialist, and now I have a sleep study scheduled this week. So it's moving, and hopefully I can get get a CPAP or something to help, and at some point then I'll have more an- energy to actually do things, but right now it's it's really starting to drag, and I'm starting to notice it in my life. That's part of why when yeah, American healthcare yeah. system. Oh, it's so t- wonderful. Yeah. We have so much freedom in our healthcare system. Right. So and much so freedom. It took you, yeah. it only took you how long to get, actually get this from um, when you I and I talked about it. Initially, when I went initially in to talk to a doctor and have a physical that was in September, I believe. And uh, yeah, maybe it was October. Because But then it took a few weeks and then it was two months before I had my sleep specialist appointment on December 9th. We're recording this now on um, January 16th. So it's been a month and a, almost a month and a half, over a month since I had the meeting with the sleep specialist. And now I'm finally getting the sleep study this week. And you literally had to call in, follow up. Oh, I had to call in, follow up with American healthcare. Um, After three weeks, I was Mm -hmm. told it was going to take 10 days and they would call me within that time. And if not, call them. Based on my experience with sleep doctors, you're you're running a little above par. Yeah, and it's it's That's so sad. It's so sad. The, the one nice thing, like the, the sleep specialist I talked to, did say normally after doing the study, the data would go to him. Then their their office would call me to come sit down, and then move from there. And he's like, 
you probably have sleep apnea. And if I, and if that's what the data says, I'm going to get it started immediately to get you a CPAP before we even talk to you, because then that will at least shave off some time for you. So it's like, well, thank you. That's, that's a fantastic thing to hear, but it's, it's rough. So not to, to get off on a tangent before we have an actual topic to talk about, but I wanted to just give everyone a heads up that I, Due to that, there may be a little more inconsistency with our schedule. We'll do what we can, but it's it's kind of tough right now for me to to get things done, particularly with the status of the the rest of the entire world, and then you add on the stress of the bot, you know, just not getting enough sleep. Um, but so we are here to talk about our you know best or worst like milthos story moments this was a wonderful topic that taya brought to us and i th- we thought a good way to sort of introduce what in the heck does that even mean is for us is our, part of our intro for part of our daily question to talk about a card that we think really fits sort of a, a good milthos card so mel and vorthos it's kind of a combination of those two uh, aesthetic profiles that We've talked about in past episodes, the stuff exists all over the, the magic community, kind of talking about those if you're interested. But so Vorthos, a really quick rundown is Vorthos is very story oriented, cares about the lore, cares about the story and the characters. And then Mel is much more mechanically inclined. So a good Mel card, because I'm going to tangent before we get, I'm going to tangent even further. And this is a good excuse for me to talk about this card that I will never, ever in the entire world probably get to talk about again. There's a card called Drudge Sentinel from Dominaria, and I love this card. <laughs> wow, wow one- you're right. You are completely right that this is not a card I would have thought. This is not on my like my bingo to be no, talking about today. It is one of my favorite cards from Dominaria because so well, it's 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 a creature, two one for three mana, whatever, but its ability three tap Drudge Sentinel, it gains indestructible until end of turn. And that sounds like, why? Why do you care about this? Well, the reason I care about this is because that is such a perfect, wonderful way for them to bring back Regenerate without Mm -hmm. bringing back Regenerate. And Drudge Sentinel is a skeleton referencing the Drudge Skeletons from Alpha that regenerated. I love unlike that's so like going as, deep. That is a good callback. Yeah. yeah, this was yeah. a great way to to mechanically recreate regenerate without yes. actually creating regenerate. Because regenerate's weird. It was an early mechanic that went through so many rules changes, and it's one that it's just really confusing for new players in particular, old players as well. Sometimes it's one that just it's just a little weird. You think you understand how it works. And most of the time you do, but there's that like 10% of, of interactions yeah. that are just weird with it. So you they try not to put like it. a shield on it even that could oh, yeah. be delayed. It's yeah, that yeah, is in the rules weird. text. It's weird. So that's a card that I love that from a Melvin standpoint or, or a Mel standpoint, excuse me, that that is for, for me, like that's, I think hits the Mel. That mechanical representation was so good. So then that was my bonus card. Now I'm going to actually talk about my my, my Melthos card is Floodgate. I talk about this card on the cast every so often, but I realize it's probably been a while. Like literally our first episode, I talked about this card. It's a blue card called Floodgate. It's a it's a zero five wall. If it gains flying, it gets destroyed. It's a sacrifice. It is the current rules text. The old one was 
weird. Um, and if it leaves the battlefield, or when it leaves the battlefield, it deals damage equal to half the number of islands you control, rounded down to non-blue creatures without flying. Again, arbitrary kind of random card for me to have this great passionate love of, but it's because those mechanics so perfectly encapsulate this kind of the flavor of what it is. It is literally a floodgate. It is a wall built to hold back water. And if you destroy it, water floods <laughs> and all of your creatures, you know, flying creatures are fine because they can fly above it. Blue creatures, a lot of those can probably breathe water. So they're fine too. Everything else takes damage. And again, the damage is based on how many islands you have because that, you know, is it's holding back the water. It's holding back the yeah. water. Exactly. So I love this card. It also is great because it has goblin flavor text. So for me, it is, it's not my favorite magic card, but it is probably the perfect, like my favorite intersection between all of these things. Cause then of course the flavor text was quick Rorik teach me to swim. And that's attributed to Makut goblin casualty. Oh, <laughs> casualty. Oh, and I mean, most goblins are going to be a casualty when that floodgate breaks, too, because they yep. tend to be on the smaller side. And we've got some great <laughs> Jeff Miracola art of goblins trying to run away from the floodgate. It's just, for me, it's just this perfect card in intersection between all of the various things that a card has. It's just so perfect. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's me. Well, I'll go next. I'm Hobbs, uh, pronouns he, him. I can be found on Twitter at HobbsQ. And I actually have two, but they are related and why they're and how they're related uh, mechanically and flavorfully is why they're my Meltos cards. And I'm cheating because it's a card I talk about a lot. Again, just like Alex, but it's Grenzo, Dungeon Warden. And we talked about this kind of in the whole like scheme of uh, when we did when I did my episode uh, and I complained about the people out there who build Grenzo where they don't use goblins and they actually just use the the ability which is to put the bottom card of your library in your graveyard if it's a creature with power less than or equal to Grenzo's put it on the battlefield and their goal is to just get Grenzo to be big and beefy and then cheat in these like big creatures instead of goblins and I've always complained about that uh, and how it seems to be not really in line but when alex and i did the episode on my my goblin eight uh artist proof deck we actually talked about like as a dungeon warden there isn't going to be just goblins in the dungeon so it actually is very flavorful that it, it's it's any creature and it, it is based on this kind of idea that grenzo grenzo is 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 only letting out people that are the same size as him or smaller he's not just letting out big beefy things that he doesn't think he can deal with um why i love then to see is the transition into grenzo havoc razor and this is where it becomes a mechanic thing for me so grenzo gets fired from being the dungeon warden <laughs> Because he's bad at it. Yeah, because uh, well, I don't know if he's bad are. at it or well, if Queen Marchesa just doesn't need a dungeon anymore because she kills everybody that she well, doesn't like. That's a fair I mean, point. Actually. He also was letting out people that he thought was going to be able to help him kind of I, rise I mean, up. To be so, fair, Savala, Savala deserved to get out. She was she was framed <laughs> for Brago's first death, and Brago is just yeah. I agree with this. 
And but that that wasn't Grenzo's reason for letting her go. No. <laughs> like, he, he wasn't thinking that far. He wanted to kill uh, Muzio. But I mean, story wise, it's kind of cool because he gets put out on the street and he becomes a havoc raiser. And the abilities mirror that so well. So that Melvin kind of the, the mechanical abilities on it, which just he's basically out there raising havoc and it lets him goad creatures and also let you play cards off of other people's library with that kind of that new reddish mechanic ability. But I think it encapsulates kind of the, the lore and the change in Grenzo. And also we now get flavor text with you burn all pillage, yeah, which is just it, great. <laughs> his story where he tries to teach Duretti how to become a goblin again is very amusing. <laughs> Right, so like, so like this very much, both versions of this card very much marry the, the mechanical aspects really speaking to the flavor for me. So those are the ones I'm going with, and I'm going to pass it over to Taya. Hi, I'm Taya. Um, my pronouns are she, her, or they, them. Um, been, uh, you know, really enjoyed the Vorthos side of magic forever. And when I heard the concept of Melthos, it's like, oh, this is this makes perfect sense where this idea of flavor and mechanics just melt perfectly. And I have a few cards on my list I want to discuss in detail later, and I want to save those. So right now I'm going to start with one of the just clean mechanical cards that I absolutely love, which is Hijack, introduced in the original Kaladesh block with vehicles. And it's it's a threatened effect that untaps it takes control of an artifact or creature until end of turn. You know, it is literally hijacking someone's car that is uh and they reprinted this <laughs> yeah. they reprinted this in ixalan as well with uh art with angrath on it hijacking someone's boat but, <laughs> maybe that's what i was gonna say you know, yeah it's just such a simple card that mechanically does exactly what you think it would do yeah, um, i love the flavor text on the angrath one too yeah trapped on ixalan because maybe that's the whole idea behind Ixalan is like they're trapped there. They can't leave. Yeah. Uh, Angroth is the only Minotaur sailing the seas. No matter how many ships he captures, he can't break free. Yeah. He just wants to get home to his daughters. And that's what, yeah. Yeah. He's stuck on this crappy plane with all these dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've seen a Jurassic Park movie or two. The whole point of those movies is people trying to get off the island. And that's, yeah. That's, He's Angrath is just trapped. <laughs> no, I, I love Hijack. That's a great one. I think I'm not sure if, if we talked about that one specifically, but Ixalan had uh, uh sorry, Kaladesh had a lot of great ones like that. Great names. I think we talked about that in our name a while ago. This was a couple years ago, but did an episode where we talked about card names as a weird as a as a like design space. Because as soon as they name a card thing, they can't name a another card that thing that name is used forever and kaladesh with vehicles had so many cool it had so many the <laughs> caught in the brights is the one with the yep. gremlin that yep i like uh, revoke privileges which you know is is a pacifism but it also shuts down vehicles mm-hmm. yeah yeah there are so many and i think top down sets tend to encourage those type of cards and I know that Alex, you know, you we, we talked about like at the start of this that this was one that we had been kind of waiting to to have Taya on for. Um, something that you guys had even talked about doing when I might not be available because it, it just 
this is a topic that is very along the lane of what I've always thought of you bringing to the show. Like this is marrying kind of the two loves that you have. And I was hoping that you might be able to speak a little bit more to that. Yeah. And so, and that's, that's a early on, like, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of reasons people engage with this game, um, and lots of reasons why people play with play this game. And like the psychic graphics are talked about a lot, and those are things where Wizards kind of identified here's how people play our game and kind of what they get out of playing the game. And so those were identified fairly early, but it's, it's sort of these these aesthetic profiles were looked at later. And I'll be honest, like this is mostly how I experience the game these days. I have not played a game of Magic since pre-COVID. So for me, it doesn't matter how I enjoy playing the game because I haven't for two and a half years at this point. It's, but it's the story. It's the community is a big part for me too. But like how I engage with magic itself is through the story, through kind of these mechanic things. It's through some of lately, it's even, uh, I've brewed a few decks and again, how I, this, how I tend to brew decks is looking for sort of these interesting mechanical overlaps for myself where things, two cards that don't necessarily go together, I can find ways like these interact with different things. So for me, the whole Melthos, it's a lot of, it, it, there's a lot of Mel, which is harder, I think, to explain. And a lot of this story stuff too is it, it's that's why i love when we can find these places where they come together because i do have a love for the story and the and the characters but i don't know i may have lost track of what i was trying to say there but so i think you're you're kicking me to to try to talk about this topic <laughs> so let me try to get back to the the actual topic um so what we want to try to do is is want to try to talk about some cards and some story moments here where like sort of the what the card does fits mechanically and flavorfully with what was going on and like the story because it's it's fairly easy and sometimes really super necessary to kind of hand wave these things a little bit which is a term i guess in the writing community i don't know how many other communities use that term but we and you kind of go i guess this kind of works we're gonna make this sort of loose and i actually have a example that i think fits that pretty well there's some hand waving in it and some other things to it too so maybe i'll, I'll just smoothly transition into that and in, in just a moment um but so just I, I mean, yeah, like i'll, I'll well, link this again because this is yeah, something you, that we've linked before but there's there is kind of from 2007 there's kind of the making magic article that really talks about these two concepts um and we've covered them in the past but one of the things that, you know, to go back, and I will link this so if people want to see it, talks about, you know, Vorthos enjoys seeing the whole is the sum of the parts. Melvin likes seeing the individual as pieces of the whole. And I really think of that when Taya talks about kind of that top-down design. How are, you know, what are the tight connections between cards, uh, keywords, cycles? You know, kind of think about like for, you know, for a lot of Melvin players, probably the idea that the swords of X and Y are still not completed is probably a frustrating thing. Yeah, um, Mel, because, Mel tend to be the want to see a cycle completed. Like a completionist in some, yeah. for some things. Or or will be the people who see things like like me, you know, you'll, you'll find the cycles that are common, uncommon, rare. Or you'll see the um, M, whatever course set was the bolus course set. I can't remember. It was M19. 19? Okay, I yeah. want to say 20, so 19, um, but where they did a quote-unquote cycle of bo big splashy rares in Bolus's three colors. Like normally a cycle yeah. is one of every color, or you can do, uh, I think, 
uh, Mark Rosewater, who's the head designer of Magical Call, a common, uncommon, rare, like a vertical cycle, I think is what he refers to yeah. that as. But so you'll find things like the Bolus cycle, because it's just his three colors, or as you say, Hobbs, they're the ones who will see in original uh, Mirrodin where they printed sort of a light and shadow and sort of fire and ice. And that was it. <laughs> there weren't yeah. any other swords. And so people were like, where are these swords? Like the, and now the, they're coming out and we yep. still don't have them. No, oh. they, they first finished the, uh, the enemy color combos and now mm-hmm. they're, they're working on the allied color combo. Um, but yeah. And, 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 and just think next year, is 20 years since Mirrodin came out. <laughs> really? Yep. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. I needed another thing to make me feel old. <laughs> so may- um, maybe maybe we'll get the last couple of swords in X and Y. I mean, it, that's how they the did the last anniversary. three. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, enemy colors were it when we went back to Mirrodin, it was one in each set. Yep. Yeah. But, and then we've got some in in the modern masters in the modern masters yeah yeah Yeah. yep that's Uh, true but the the last thing i wanted to point out from the article just before we we move on finally was that mark rosewater addresses this idea of melthos and i think that what's funny is he almost seems them is he calls melthos the center of the spectrum almost as if he saw vorthos and melvin on the same line and we've talked about this before alex you and i about all of the psychographics um really being not well i think we even meant we don't really think of melvin and vorthos as being the same dimension or like that they're the same spectrum that they're at two ends of a spectrum um we actually think he, he talks about melthos is the one that admires both the art and craftsmanships and i think that those don't need to be on the same line this is one area that i think that is kind of a a miss in some ways mm-hmm. um where because, someone could be Yes. Both. Yes. And a high I think degree that, yeah. as opposed to somewhere sort of in the middle. Um well, yeah. That that's that's a fair point. And that it, it bears talking about when we talk about some of these things. And this is I mean, and, and again, when we get into the psychographics and we start talking about some of these label things, I wanna just one like little addendum or asterisk here is at least for, for me, I think that these can be very useful when they are used descriptively personally they are much less so if you try to use them prescriptively for other people or say and and how i mean that there is if i say i'm a melthos i can kind of decide why and how that works for me as opposed to saying well if i'm a mel then that means i have to x y and z and it's like no no for me it's because i do a and b and i kind of like c i'll consider myself a vorthos that's how I think these are best used. And that's kind of the case for basically all all categorization sort of things like this I've ever seen, at least that I've had experience with, I think tend to be much more useful as a description because you this and that. So this label fits and works for you as opposed to the other way around where because of this, you have, you know, you're of orthos and thus you have to appreciate the art. That's, it just doesn't fit for me. Um, but one thing, so we're, we're trying to talk about these Milthos story moments and sometimes just story and examples. Games, I feel like, well, yeah, it will have examples, examples are going to help. I, just, I, I think examples will help, but I do want to say that sometimes these gaps, particularly on the worst side or the bad side will exist because story and games need two different things. 
what you need to make a story work and um, is going to be different than the mechanics and specific things that you need to make a game work. And so sometimes there's going to be misses like that. Like mine, I think will have some of those. So I'll just, I'll just lead into this because it's also a good way to kind of poke Hobbs too. So I want to talk about Bolas being uh, desparked and imprisoned in the meditation realm. So this, I appreciate you did say imprisoned because it is, it is not a fair sentence. It was, you know, I think that couldn't have happened to a nicer despot. (laughs) Couldn't have happened. Wait, no, wait, wait a second here. This goes back to Ugin being a bad big brother is all I know. This is where we'll end up, but I'm going to let Alex take us there. Okay. So I'm going to start with, we're going to kind of break those two pieces and I'm going to talk about the imprisoned side first. I think this mostly works really well in a Melthos sense. There's there's a little niggles, and this is where it, it kind of fits that sometimes you have to the story has to be a little different than the mechanics. But so like Ugin has exiled permanents that are more than one color before. It's a it's a big thing he did on the first one. And honestly, I really like the idea or the the imagery of sort of exiling being like stuck to this plane. Like that fits really well to me. I don't know that they connected that specifically. But someone being exiled from this world and then being stuck in a quasi-plane seems like a good flavor fit to me. Um, and you go even further if you look at that particular um, power from that, that Ugin Planeswalker. It's also a minus X, so it requires you to dump more loyalty into it to get bigger permanence. And he specifically sits out the entire fight the entire time. And so it could kind of fit that part of his plan was to conserve energy so that he could pour all of it into this moment. Now, the the justification in text, which makes sense too, was that he was not participating because it was to surprise Bolas, because then Bolas didn't know he was there and couldn't plan for it. But I think that still kind of fits. And then where it doesn't quite is his exile ability was everything on the battlefield which is a weird mechanic term but so i'm not going to say it should have hit everything but it would have probably splashed to more than one single target but ugin has also destroyed target specific targets before so it's not inconceivable that that kind of fits in his power set it just isn't you know exiling one target it just wasn't represented in a card yet so that that part of it i think fits pretty well with Again, a little wishy-washy that that might be just because story I mechanics. Think the style side is actually shown more from the D Spark card itself than Ugin is really just kind of like hanging out and making sure he doesn't go anywhere now. Yeah, but see, then that's yeah. where things are a little more wonky because the card D Spark kind of conflates the two because <laughs> other people being D Sparked weren't flung to planes they were just killed and so that kind of was represented more by like spark reaver and some of those that i guess in those two it's sacrifice a planeswalker which is a little different than killing a planeswalker but again that's a mechanical thing you can't have a common creature just like blow up someone else's planeswalker that just game balance doesn't work so that that's where the d spark but i think honestly i think the big gap there is just that Bolas survived the process while no one else did, and they, again, just kind of hand-waved it. It's like, ah, it's Bolas. Um, which is fine. I, I, it's fine. I think you they put did your it. villains in cold storage for when you need them in the future. 
Exactly. And it, exactly. They did that though. Wait, I'm sorry. I, so I, I, I totally blanked out during a lot of that set. <laughs> when did, when did Ugin get just put on cold storage? <laughs> just want to make sure well, I'm not, I, mean, I missed a lot. That's what he's doing right now. Bolas, right? So they're, they're both kind of, so, they're both hanging out. In, in, in hanging a, out. I like it. I love this description. In a sense, you could out. say that Ugin is actually stuck there because Bolas made himself such a uh, an issue that he forced his brother to spend all eternity with him in the uh, meditation realm. Yes, thank if, you for calling it the meditation realm. I appreciate you not calling it the prison realm that Ugin tried to turn it into. Yeah, but yeah, I I, I do think that kind of the 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 D Spark piece. Hmm. yeah yeah it's yeah. It, and it's fine again it's fine i'm not saying that there's this big issue though at, at the risk of starting tangents and maybe other episodes of our podcast in the middle of this one now that i was thinking about it well while i was writing these notes before the show i realized like i think and m- maybe this is just right now me thinking about it and i there's other things i didn't think about because you know it is wizard's property so they they know what they're doing but honestly i think part of why they were killing things is they wanted to set this tone that anyone can die and and except it, at least for me it didn't land very well because they only they showed us everyone who actually died who had a name tag <laughs> that we knew so it really kind of didn't pay off and uh, i think what would yeah. have probably been more interesting for future story is if none of them were killed and now all of a sudden ravnica had a whole swath of people from all over the multiverse who are now stuck there for the rest of their natural lives because we know we're going back to ravnica at some point it's the most popular plane a recent plane for sure i think possibly most popular plane in magic's history that could be raid was already the whiniest teenager in the multiverse that's fair imagine how bad it would be if he just <laughs> lost his spark see i'm thinking I, i'm honestly thinking more about dak faden i mean dak would have been one the yeah. one positive thing like well not, not the one but one of the few positive things i can say about that first war of the spark book is that it made me actually like dak faden i yeah. actually liked his character and i would have loved to go back to ravnica to see what he made of a life stuck there and maybe potentially see him try to figure out a way to steal himself a spark and <laughs> show up as an antagonist in a uh, story arc sometime down the line like there's i think there's some interesting story potential but maybe not and that's I don't, maybe not neither here nor there it's it's on ravnica yeah poor dak rest in peace poor yeah, dak no. rest in peace on the trailer so the whole book i just yeah. kept saying yeah. so is this when dak gets his spark taken yep yeah, exactly okay so we we have ravnica we got them there Taya, I know you had some examples. So I, I think I, I think this was on the top of my and Alex's list was Emrakul and um mechanically the, the, this is the specifically the version from Eldritch Moon. It just shows up in Mind Slaver something, which is exactly what it did in the story. Um once it kind of figured out I'm not supposed to be here. It just like looked for the most awesome person on the plane, which was Tamio, of course. <laughs> yep. And it's like, Field let researcher. me borrow some of that magic, and I'm gonna go take a nap now. 
Uh, and that's exactly what it does. It mind flavors someone for a turn, and then it's got protection from instance, which the counter, you know, the spell that Tamio casts is Imprisoned in the Moon, which is an enchantment removal spell. Uh, so that pair of mechanics alone was just so perfect. And I've never had it happen, but I, you know, just wrote. A flavor point of view is I think if I ever mind slaver someone with Emrakul and they have Imprisoned in the Moon in their <laughs> hand, I have to cast it on Emrakul. Absolutely. Oh, flavor wow. required. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's you've got to do it. It just it doesn't yep. matter. I went on a rant last night. Well, it was a mini rant about uh cards like this in EDH since Sheldon will no longer allow me to tuck generals, but I can <laughs> yeah. I could turn them into moons that tap for mana and I can turn them into tree folk and, and zero ones that are indestructible. Yeah. Um, but in prison in the moon, I was like, like when you, you had mentioned just Emrakul in general, that was the, the companion card that made me think of it too. Right. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. The flavor text, only one vault was great enough to hold Emrakul. It's like, you're literally taking this cosmic bean and sticking them in a moon. Yeah. And she and, did it to herself. That's yeah. the real. And that, that is, but, when, Which fits you, very much, like you said, yeah, with you, why you would have to cast it that way. I mean, to fit yeah. into this this great Melthos moment. Yeah, it's it. That was that's a really good one, and that that was a much simpler ex, uh, example to give than the one that I came up with. But uh, yeah, I love that one. It's and and we'll also get to talk about Tamiya, who is possibly my favorite character in Magic right now. I really hope she shows up in. Neon Dynasty somehow, some way. Yeah. I will yeah. be so disappointed if they don't have her and her adorable little family in it. I still missed her on Strixhaven. I wanted to see her as a professor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, instead, we got Kazmina, who we still know essentially nothing about other than she has a creepy stalker problem. <laughs> <laughs> like capturing little kids, too. <laughs> yeah, just spying on everybody. <sighs> all right so i have uh, actually oddly enough both of my other two f- transition off of that so i'll just go with the one that's next in order on my list um the hell vault <laughs> actually it's <laughs> <not> really <laughs> <well>. <laughs> um that, that, because, that's a good segue <laughs> yeah the, the hell vault fits it, it, in a similar yeah. way that uh um talking about emma cool like oh well i guess on the same world but the the mechanics of the card like do exactly it's not just the same world it's the same moon yeah it's the same moon well yeah and like the hell vault was a piece of the moon i believe yeah it was was a chunk of the moon that you know old walker soren pulled out to use as a prison yeah and and so it 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 actually does the exact same thing well it exiles people but um also to 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 get into a little bit more of a of a mel rabbit hole Another reason I love the the Hell Vault too is one of the earliest magic cards in the game that removed things was Tano's Coffin. And Hell Vault is a much more modern, much easier to use and much less clunky. I mean, it does slightly different things. The Hell Vault is kind of a removal. You exile it and it's kind of gone. You, you can bring things back, but you have to bring everything back. Tano's Coffin exiles something and makes it... It's much easier to bring back. You like tap the artifact, you leave it tapped, the thing remains exiled. But yeah, it's like a, it's a suspended animation chamber yeah. yes. as a card. Exactly. Kind of a kind of a 
frozen in ice or uh, suspended animation chamber is a much easier way to say it. I'm trying to the cryo. There we go. Well, My brain came up with the sci-fi version. Cryo. I love it when we when we talk about this too, as you were saying, Alex, from like the storyline too, because uh, the the mechanics match it in that you know exiling your own creatures almost as a save type thing is very cheap. Getting rid of your opponents takes a lot more. It actually it's a seven mana versus a one mana difference. I mean that like it's hugely different. And at the end of the day, even if you do this, if the hell vault is gone, everything comes back, which I think mechanically really fits for the story beat of what the hell vault yeah. was being used for. Well, that's and that's precisely how it worked in the story. You had um, that was Liliana looking for for all the demons that you know. She signed yeah, contracts. She wanted, she wanted Grizzlebrand, and he was stuck in there, so yep. she had to crack the thing open. Which then brought out Avacid and brought out everything else that had been in there. Including one really crazed planeswalker. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> and and a poor Grizzlebrand who <sighs> rest in peace, Grizzlebrand too. Am I rooting for villains? Is that all I do when we talk on this? Like that's the pattern I, so far, but I mean two isn't quite a pattern yet. It's three. Okay. I, I don't know. We got we it's got Grenzo. Grenzo is like there's oh, that's a pattern. You got Krenko, you got Bolus, you're simping for Grizzlebrand now. Well, I think step, we have a pattern. Here. Let's step back here when it comes to Krenko. Krenko <laughs> Krenko is not a villain. Krenko <laughs> is the leader of the revolution. Krenko we is a legitimate ignoring. business goblin. <laughs> is, we had Jay and Ellie on the show, and I learned, if I learned nothing else, <laughs> it's that Gristlebrand is a legitimate businessman. And I have to call by a source on this one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... I think my annoyance, this is, I mean, we could talk about, so, you know, I, I actually had Krenko on my list for the second build of Krenko is kind of a, is a miss. Um, and I think that it is, it, it, the miss is more on the, the Vorthos side of it more than the, the Melvin side of it. Um, because we saw Krenko is kind of a, Jay would agree with me. The most powerful being in the multiverse is what he called Krenko. Am I incorrect <laughs> on this, Alex? Um, Did we have a line here that he is the most powerful being in the multiverse for scratching Gideon? That's right. That's right. That was a comment. Okay. That, that, we, we had Cranko. That, that is a valid point. <laughs> but we had Cranko as this lean, mean, like, like fighter, right? And... When he becomes a kingpin, and if one thing I can say too, this is where it's a miss. Kingpins are not pillagers. Kingpins are not going to be there. You know, if we if we think of what a kingpin is doing, a kingpin is not after the people flee, but before the enemy arrives, that's grabbing time. This is a miss for me is from like the mismatch there. And, and then the mechanic piece of it is like, you just, I mean, you're making goblins again, but it's based all on, Krenko's power. Um, I mean, I, I thought that in general Krenko was a miss, but this card to me just doesn't read Kingpin at all. From a flavor mechanic, none of it works together. And I think that this is where I get frustrated is like Krenko, I believe, could have been set up. And I think this was what happened with War of the Spark in general, that like all of a sudden we got to get Krenko in. We don't get him in until a point where there's no storyline for him. And then we just turn him into like a common thief. And I think that 
as what could be the leader of the revolution, because I think that we we talked about this a lot about like the guildless and like Cranko is actually primed, I think, to have been a better like person to rise up. And I'm tangenting, but this was on my list to talk about completely unrelated to y'all bullying me <laughs> into this and claiming I only like villains. <laughs> Either way, though, this was a miss for me. And I just I'm sticking Kid. with that part. We don't have a pattern yet. It'll happen when we get to another character. <laughs> okay. That, that was that was well well reasoned. I, I yep. I'm on board with you with the, the flavor myths on that Cranko card. And I know we've talked about kind of the not just the Milthos miss, but sort of the flavor miss where we think they didn't do a great job by Cranko in this set. And like I said, it is both. Like it's it's yeah. the general Cranko, but it's just also a kingpin this is not a kingpin at all. So yeah. yeah, I think I think they definitely did better representing an actual kingpin with Gonti. Yes, yes, yes. That works. Yeah, they yeah. got a real good representation. You know, that's just like uh, your stuff is mine now, and I'll just you know I'll do something with it in my leisure, and otherwise I'm going to sit back with my big butt and uh, block things and continue my. Aetherborn existence longer than I'm supposed to. I love it. Yeah. It works completely. Oh, but speaking of goblins that were hits, is pretty much any squeak card. Uh, <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. You know, yes. Squee Squee does one thing. He survives. And his cards have all shown exactly what he does. And I, you know, as much as I complained about the lack of story, the fact that we now get the name moved to immortal and the ability even has changed enough that you can cast him from exile mm-hmm. is a really cool, like growth or, or, or just little like Alex, you talked about earlier with kind of the, the callback. It's a good like mm-hmm. addition to the callback. Yep. Yeah. Add, adding the, adding the exile clause definitely makes it, you know, it's just it's like, it's impossible to kill squee. You cannot get rid of him. He will always be there. Best goblin, yeah. the one you can't get rid of. And, even even Bolas can't get rid of him. And I'm looking at these two cards too, and I so they're both three mana. But I really appreciate that. Apparently, in his uh, his time on Dominaria, he was he was doing some lifting a little bit because now yeah, he's gotten, the power, gotten a bit stronger. He's yeah. a two one instead of a one one. Hadn't noticed that before. Got to do something with those years, I guess. Perfect more flavor text too on the immortal. Yep. I mean, they're both good flavor text, but the Immortal. <laughs> they are. Uh, more importantly, he became more red, too. Yes, he did. Yes. He actually requires a second red to be Immortal. And, and so at Joseph's time on, on, on Dominaria, somehow the most chaotic and, like, ridiculous member of the, the, the uh, you know, the Weatherlight became even more red. Mm-hmm. You know what? Sorry, I. <clears throat> that is true, and I agree with that, Hobbs. About being the red. I'm, just, you know I'm looking at all of his different. <laughs> I'm looking at all his different flavor texts. So, Squeak Goblin Nabob, his original card, has three different flavor texts, and I think they're all good. Though my favorite yeah, is probably the, the, the Commander Nineteen one, printing with, with the flavor text from Scar Stark. Some goblins are expendable; some are impossible to get rid of. But he's both at the same time. Yeah, at his original. That one I think is, it's the funniest of them. I, I 
but because then Squeak Goblin Nabob from Arcadians is General Tongrath Roared, General Nuisance maybe, which is okay. But what's um, amazing is the is the one from the Ultimate Masters for yes. some reason is serious. Yeah, it's all of a sudden for some reason they printed a serious one, like the, like dark. If Yagwas yeah. meant Squeeze Immortality is a curse, no yeah. one ever told Squee karn like i was just like jesus christ thank you yeah i mean we we did have an episode talking about karn being depressed and maybe this just he's in a dark place (laughs) making this observation which i mean is it is a fair observation but i do i do like that that flavor text too because it's kind of talking about well you know this is this is kind of a terrible thing i mean it was done for an incredibly terrible reason he was made immortal so he could be tortured to death over and over again and yet, Squee has made something good out of that, apparently. At least in Karn's eyes. That is... So who has misses? Did of either agents. of you come up with some yes, more misses? I, I have a few. Okay. Because I, I think we've it. been hitting very well on that. I want to see where yeah. these went wrong. So there's a couple that I... Um, I, I actually thought Eldraine had quite a few of them. And I'm going to start with a card that I absolutely hate seeing in Commander 2, the Great Henge. Which, in the story, is... The, the part that doesn't make sense, it needs to be operated by giants. So the cost reduction makes sense from a story point of view. But it's a transportation device. Instead of just, oh, gain life, draw cards, you know, do all these wonderful things. Versus, in the story, it's a way to hop around the for, the you know the, the wilds. And I, I thought that for something that was kind of a centerpiece of the whole story, not to mention... In, really annoying high profile card that it was a big miss as far as that went i would completely agree with this you know it yeah. does not to me represent what a henge and is doing at all it's more like stapled abilities onto a card to be splashy i mean it's yeah it's the it's extra value the card oh it's also yeah. green who would have thought green got a card that gives value and I think it's the problem is because it's a named card. It is, you know, yeah. it's like, I mean, along these lines, and I guess it's funny that you mentioned Eldraine. It's like Questing Beast, right? Yeah. Like Questing yeah. Beast is another one that is a named legendary and then it just does everything. And it. Yeah. It's not only that, it's, it's also just missing the in there. It's a legendary. Right. There is only one Questing Beast, but. Right. But it's not it, the it's questing like, beast. Yeah, it's, you forget no. it's legendary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, yeah, and that one, I wonder because it's it's just a questing beast. But that that's one where we get back to the game mechanics. Sometimes require things that are different, and this is where we get these misses. But that like that may have been made legendary for game balance reasons, which then kind of makes our stuff. I mean, I think it was weird. legendary in the story too, where there was only oh, okay. one mythical questing beast giving out these like grand quests and your okay. immortal- immortality swords. And so like, it's yeah. one of those funny, like it would have been fine to just add the word the into it then. I, I, I laugh because, you know, you talked about the fact of missing, not having the, 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 the would have really cued us into the legendary, but I think it's like the fact that, there's always an ability on there that people forget just because of how many there are. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, it has vigilance. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. I mean, but it, yeah. it does feel like these abilities don't even seem to go together for something that is a questing beast. Like, yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. And then um, if, if you don't mind me grabbing one, cause I didn't have any. And then you talking about that reminded me of one. That's a miss. 
so I will I'll jump in unless you have more to talk about with the questing beast. Oh, right yeah, I, I mean I um, another one which was a big miss for me is Golden Demise because it is a card that doesn't even actually take place in the story. It's one of the false memories that Jason plants in Vraska, but you have no way to actually know that from the card. And the mechanic seems a little bit weak for dousing everybody in molten gold. Yeah, you know, like yeah. for a golden demise, a lot of things are surviving this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it gives everything minus two, minus two. If you get the city's blessing, it's only your opponents, but it's still only minus two, minus two. Really? Yeah. No. I mean, and we've even had like creatures turn into gold in a previous set in terms yeah. of the mechanic. Yeah, we had our, our King King Minus analog from the original Theros block, uh, Makar, the yep. gold cursed. Yep. Yep. And then Gil. I still love the fact that we now have two, uh, two two tokens that do the same exact thing. Yeah, gold and treasure. Well, one requires tapping, so they're slightly mechanically different. Ooh, that's um, good to know. See, I did not know that. I've, yeah, I've they. They chained when they introduced treasure as a same, you know, was uh, improvised was also a thing. So they made treasures have to tap where gold didn't. Otherwise, you'd be able to use it twice. Oh, that's good to know. Wow, thank you. See, this is why we don't play the game. Alex. I've barely played Magic since Treasure <laughs> came out. And then... Oh, oh, they are they have become a scourge in Commander. There's too many things that just incidentally make treasure. And it's kind of too good for an incidental have Just, a bonus. There yeah. better not be a dockside discussion coming up right now. <sighs> I mean, you're the one who brought it up. That's all on you, Hobbs. <laughs> I guess <laughs> I was I was jumping to conclusions that somebody may go there. I was I was going to go to a, uh, a I would say well known, but it's I mean well known in very specific circles of the community. Well known example of flavor sort of taking a backseat to mechanics and, and creating like a Melfels fail that um, I was prompted that I remembered from these previous conversations. Uh, Valakut the Molten Pinnacle and the whole cycle of lands from Zentenkar. There were five lands that tap for a, a mana, one of each color, that are actual single locations on right. Zendikar that even have not legendary. in the name. Exactly. And they aren't legendary because yeah. they didn't want them to. Was that at the time? I can't remember what the legend rule was at the time because it wasn't. I, I, well, what I, I think I've heard Maro talk about this before on one of his podcasts that they just weren't using legendary land at the time. Mm, yeah, and it, but, so that's uh, kind of again, it's just a gameplay thing where they're like, yeah. "Well, this card is fine if you have four of them," but it's like, but it, it kind of it breaks the whole thing. And going back to Eldraine, the castles were the same way for me there. Oh, those aren't legendary. They're, they are not legendary. They are all I specific castles, that. but they're not legendary. Oh, yep. And so they're just repeating the same. I shouldn't say mistake. Like they're doing it intentionally because they've decided mm -hmm. that the balance for them between hitting the flavor and, and mechanically making the card work the way they want to, they're going for the mechanics. But for me, it may have been the same mistake again. Yeah. It, I mean, aren't we dealing with this too? With going back, the land has been historically, um, like the artifact lands from the original Mirrodin, were all named places too. 
No. Not all, because, like, the, the white one is Ancient Den. Ancient That's Den. pretty much any yeah. cat place. Yeah, it but it I think talks was... about Tajnar, which is a name. You know, that was the throne. Okay. I think they were, like, places where it's like, okay, it, it's it's conceivable that there's more than one location sort of in this place. I guess the flavor text would yeah. be the misses there because it's like even Vault of Whispers is what I was thinking of. It, mm, it, like nope, mentions one, yeah, a, you're right. they mention like the a den and it's a very specific thing. I mean, I, like I guess if there yeah, are multiple Vault of Whispers, fair. but we're that's running off one, of the problem yeah, of the flavor text. Definitely seems like it's no, that's fair. They they definitely are evocative of of a specific place, even if they yeah. Tree of Tales is talking about the sanctum of the trolls, yeah. and so I mean, it's like the, okay. No, the that's castles. The castles and the the specific named places are 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 more problematic. But I think that lands is probably an area that they do miss with this more often, or it doesn't fit for this yeah. kind of sensibility. Mm-hmm. The artifact lands also would be less busted if they'd been legendary. Yeah, <laughs> maybe they wish they'd done it that, that way then. Just see this as I'm I'm looking at them in Scryfall and reminded they are banned in modern. Yep. No, they fixed them. That's why they now come into play tapped and they're indestructible. Yeah. (laughs) I I really do love that series of artifact dual lands. I have the original art for Rustfell Bridge hanging on my wall right next to me. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when you when you when you were getting into that because it is a cool that's a cool cycle to me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and the bridges a, between each of the trains was that was a very cool cycle. It's a general enough thing that it's like okay, there could be multiple bridges. So you so, know, okay, we've we, I think we've you know one of the reasons I wanted us to do, when Alex you, you brought this episode up and why I wanted to make oh. sure I was able to record was thinking along those lines of like where these have been successes, where they have been misses, to kind of just help people really maybe visualize what Melthos is. Like I said, a little bit more than what the article initially said, because I think treating it as opposite ends I mean, of the spectrum is not fair. And an article from 2007, um, it's fine. 14 years ago. It's so fine. it's For, yeah. from somebody who, who, in my opinion, these, these psychographics are, were, well, as we've talked about, they don't even call them psychographics. They call them, they just say aesthetics. And we've done in these full two, episodes yeah. on like, each one of those can be a domain and it doesn't need to be that you're, as you said, Alex, that there don't need to be prescriptive that you are Johnny and you are spike. You can be both. And I think that we're trying to show that you can be both on these and the marriage mm-hmm. between them is interesting. And I'm wondering you if be, you have ever, you, be, sorry, you finish your question. <laughs> yeah. I'm just curious if you have ever built more around this then because that would be the next thing to be um, where are we going in terms of like less. what could you do with this i haven't done as much vorthos building honestly most of my decks are are metal build because that's just how i build decks i look for mechanical things that seem interesting to me or several mechanical things i can smash together and see if they uh they play well together in the same deck so I, I can go on this because um, oh, yeah. as you know, both of you saw, I shared in the discord chat the other day, the you know, theme deck I've been working on for over a year now based <laughs> on reincarnated as a slime. Thank this you for taking is, this and running exactly where I was hoping you would go. <laughs> as I could get on this, each of the, you know, it's a legendaries matter commander deck, but each of the legends I picked 
have more to do with actual the character they're meant to fill in for than anything else. There's like I have Mawu in there as Ranga, <laughs> even though I have zero ways in the deck to add plus one plus one counters to anything. Oh, but he's such a perfect fit. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. And um, also, um, you know, I, I went the same way with uh, most of the cards. There's like very little synergy between what's going on in that deck and what cards I've selected, um, but they match mechanically as close as I could get to the characters to the point where um, if I could find one mechanically that matched on creature type and mechanics, I took it no matter what the card actually did. Uh, and I spent a lot of time looking on that. I, you know, made some updates after the initial start because I did come out with a bunch of useful dragons and like AFR, for example, which widened my legendary set. But, uh, you I, had already been, was... I mean, but you're already going down that route and you're, you were willing to sacrifice some elements. I think similarly to the joke being, you know, if you had controlled somebody with Emrakul and they had imprisoned in the moon, you don't have an option. Uh, you have to do it. And I think that that deck, when you were kind of just starting to show it off, and it's not an anime I know, but just from your description of it, it seemed to be that you'd be willing to kind of make that sacrifice to have more of these kind of moments. Right, yeah. It, it just, it is, there's so little synergy to the deck as a whole, other than it being Legendary Matters. But mechanically, I made everything fit as much as possible to the characters, um, flavor-wise. And, uh, you know, I've I've only gotten to play the deck online twice at this point. I just finished the paper copy and looking forward to playing it some more, uh, which I think it's going to be more fun as, like, a storytelling exercise than anything. Yeah, it's it's really cool, and I as I am familiar with the the anime, I've I'm really I really enjoyed um, what's out of it, and I keep looking forward when there's new seasons. But I I love this. This is such a great fit. This and not just mechanically too, but as you say, like when you have creature type fits, you can or a lot of the the flavor of the cards you picked too, with you know. Um, Morphone being the commander, but also being, oh, I'm not even going to pronounce it correctly, um, the main character of the show. Rimuru Tempest. Rimuru Tempest. Yeah. He is a slime. That's why the name of the show is, when it's reincarnated, is a slime. And so it fits (laughs) that sort of creature type, or that that creature so well, too. And also yeah. just this idea that he's pulling things together because that's so much what he does in the anime. Yeah, just kind of... it's he works with all the various species. It doesn't matter yeah. what creature type it is to him. He's willing to incorporate them. Yeah, he just it, anyone. Wow, that's actually real. I mean, for me not knowing now, would you yeah. as soon as you described that, I was like, okay, it makes yeah. complete sense. Yeah, and then uh, the right next, I'm looking at the pictures you had in Discord, and then right next you have D- uh, Demon Lord Claimon, and it's Tevish Sat. <laughs> so perfect because again yeah, demon he's, and he's demon. a manipulative bastard and yes and he is a, just like tvish that and it's it's oh it's so perfect this does give us the quick opportunity i know we're you know kind of coming more to a close to mention that urza's card is a perfect <laughs> melthos example yes. of why urza is the worst <laughs> yes <laughs> perfect melthos i mean urza is the worst in every yeah know. it's it, 
it, it, it's a card that comes with a mini Karn. It, it turns your artifacts into a Tolarian Academy. Mm-hmm. And you just, if you're playing it, you're probably a jerk. Just like, <laughs> right. <laughs> that's like, <laughs> that's how it works. Like, you sit down with that, people are already going to have a it's... preconceived notion about you, and it's that you're the worst. Yeah. And they would be right. It's not just a Melthos fit. It, it's also metatextual. Is it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it is the ultimate Melthos. It actually creeps into the real world. Yeah. Oh, and that uh, is the perfect way to end an episode. Urza is the worst. Urza is the worst. <laughs> and I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with him in Brothers War in the fall. Oh, you, did you not know? Uh, Brothers War is actually about Ugin versus Bolas. <laughs> <laughs> I need to make sure I get that speculation in again. Yeah, get that in as often as you can until they like, <laughs> prove it wrong. <laughs> until, like, I think the they joke pretty much no have already longer. said that it's not. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it would be awesome. And that's our show for today. You can find the host on Twitter. Hotsku can be found at Hotsku, and Alex Newman can be found at Mel underscore Comicler. Send any questions, comments, thoughts, hopes, and dreams to at GoblinLorePod on Twitter, or email us at GoblinLorePodcast at gmail.com. If you want to support your friendly neighborhood gobsmokes, the cast can be found at Patreon.com slash GoblinLorePod. Opening and closing music by Vindergotten, who can be found on Twitter at Vindergotten, or online vindergotten.bandcamp.com Logo art by Steven Raphael who can be found on Twitter at Steve Raphael Goblin Lore is proud to be presented by Tipsters of the Coast as part of their growing Vorthos content as well as magic content of all kinds Check them out on Twitter at HipstersMTG or online at hipstersofthecoast.com Thank you all for listening and remember, goblins like snowflakes are only dangerous in numbers <laughs>